Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Tennis with an Accent. Our guest this week is a pretty unique background. Born uh, in the United States, learned his tennis craft in Japan and perfected it in Spain. Taro Daniel, upcoming Japanese talent, is our guest and he gets very candid in this chat. I hope everyone enjoys. Thanks for listening. Where are we catching you? Are you traveling for a tournament? Yes, uh, I am currently in Sao Paulo, Brazil right now, um, preparing for the upcoming ATP tournament that starts on Saturday. Are you going to be entering in the qualifying draw? Yes, it will be from qualifying, uh, unfortunately, this year. Um, Last year, I was able to start from the main draw, but, you know, you got to grind it out sometimes. Absolutely. So... I mean, I did some research on you, and apparently, uh, is it true that clay is your favorite surface? Oh, uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, um, I like any, like, uh, courts that are not too quick or low bouncing. So um, I like clay, I like slower hard courts. I mean, yeah, it's pretty fascinating. I believe uh, you were born uh, in New York, and then you play for Japan, and you trained in Valencia. So just uh, walk us through that journey. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, it's as you told, as you said, uh, I was born in New York, you know, my parents met there, um, but neither of them are from New York. Um, my dad's from California, Santa Cruz, California. And, uh, yeah, but I never lived in the U S you know, I just, uh, I grew up in Japan till I was like 13. And then from there I went to Spain and I've been in Spain ever since it's been all like a little over 10 years now. It's crazy how long I've been there actually if I think about it now <laughs> so you're familiar with the language I guess right so since you oh yes there, yes yes uh that's I'd say that's my um biggest skill to have to speak three totally different languages fluently that's pretty cool and especially <laughs> Spanish yes Spanish yes. has been the language of the tour so I guess that you know uh, that helps yeah for sure I mean being able to speak Spanish you know going to tournaments and it's not just in the Spanish-speaking countries, but even in, like, the Portuguese-speaking countries, like Brazil, where I'm in here right now, or, like, Italian, French, uh, I can get by with it a little bit. So, you know, that's pretty cool. Is your dad, uh, let's go back there, is your dad, like, an influence? Was he a former player? Or um, Yeah, he, he wasn't a pro, but he was a college player, and he's always been a tennis-obsessed person. Um uh, he basically made me start. Um, it wasn't really my choice to start. So, uh, you know, it was me and my sister together in Japan when we started. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, he's been the biggest support of my tennis career easily by far. So I'm really grateful for his exis- existence. <laughs> How's the journey? Because some of our audience is very knowledgeable. They know a lot more than even I do. I think mm, I'm yeah, kind yeah. of an average, you know, tennis <laughs> so just walk us through like how did it start for a junior when you are good you are identified you went to valencia so what is it, like itf futures then you go to the challenger tour what's the journey like yeah I'm, uh, it's pretty difficult because i mean for example there are people who go through the itf juniors and believe that that's the way you have to go and then go to the futures and then challengers and then atps but um yeah, but then there are Spanish people, for example, who don't believe in juniors, playing ITF juniors so much, and um, go directly from playing national tournaments to futures. 
So um, for me, it was kind of a mix. Uh, I was never ITF obsessed like some other kids, um, but then we did play, me and my sister, we did play a few ITFs, and I made uh, Grand Slam main draw, except for Australia, and uh, it was really fun, you know, play, traveling around as a junior. Spain was never really my home, so uh, it's, it was always really fun to kind of like meet other people from other countries and you know, it made me transit pretty smoothly into the futures, for sure. Now, you're saying about uh, the Spanish mindset of playing nationals now. Since you were training there at the Valencia Academy, mm. uh, are you eligible to play in the junior uh, or national championship for Spain, or what's the criteria for that? Well, yeah, I mean, anyone's allowed to, uh, as long as you make a Spanish uh, license card or license account or something, <laughs> tennis license. So, um, yeah, any foreigner can come up here and just... Come, go there and play, yeah. Uh, is this one of those academies where Marat Safin trained or David Ferrer? Yes, yes. Um, yeah, so that was such the, the great thing. You know, it's a pretty small-sized academy compared to more of the famous ones. Um, but then you'd see, like, Safin, Ferrer, Igor Andreev, Dinara Safina, Kirilenko, and, and a bunch of other people who are a little bit less famous. But uh, it was so awesome, uh, that kind of quality at... A very reasonable price and is you know i couldn't really ask for a better you know uh price quality academy so if there's like a junior or young guy aspiring tennis player guy or girl listening to this uh, so tell us more about this academy is there uh education also part of these academies or are you just fully focusing on tennis uh, um yeah it's in a or well, it used to be called a tennis val uh now it's called a lozano altur tennis academy it's it does not have education as a part. <laughs> That's maybe a little con of the academy because they probably can't afford it because it's a smaller size academy, so it's fully tennis. And, um, yeah, uh, you kind of have your life outside of the tennis academy, so you don't live in the tennis academy. Like in a residence, you either like rent an apartment with other players or homestay with Spanish people and... You just train, you know. Uh, it's it's a really great environment because uh, there's not many distractions. Uh, and it's for sure a great stepping stone for younger kids uh, to learn the tennis, Spanish tennis piece because the, the Latin tennis or the Spanish tennis has been the strongest in the last couple of decades for sure. Yeah, absolutely. So coming from Japan, I mean, were you exposed to clay court tennis in Japan or was uh, Valencia your first experience uh, playing on good clay courts um in japan yeah they did have some clay but it wasn't it was nothing like the one in spain um yeah but then i've always had like a kind of clay courtish tennis style even when i was in japan um it was kind of strange because in japan um, everyone plays kind of quick and on the rise and stuff but uh i was a little different and the Spanish style fit me really well. Um, yeah, but in Japan, they have these um, artificial grass courts with a bunch of sand on it. So you learn to slide on that, you know, so that the clay court transition wasn't that difficult for me. Was Shuzo Matsuoka growing up like in Japan a huge uh, figure? Or? Um, he's a huge figure as in a celebrity, <laughs> but maybe not as a tennis star. Because um, he's just so big as a celebrity right now. He's probably one of the most famous TV personalities um, 
on in Japan. So, you know, I've never really actually seen his like tennis、um, live or anything because、uh, it's like it was before my time. But、um, yeah, I'm I've、uh, I've been real.、Uh, We're in the same agency right now in IMG Japan, so I get to you know、uh, get some advice from him and stuff. It's really awesome. Okay, so let's move forward. I mean, last year you had your best year. You achieved your best ranking. You were in the top hundred for some time. Yeah. So,、uh, what what was the reason for the success? What What do you think uh, happened? Uh, what happened for you to get the breakthrough? It sounds kind of arrogant, but I kind of knew that I was going to make top hundred at some point.、Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean,、uh, I was pretty close to top hundred for a little bit, and during 2015, and、um, yeah, I didn't, you know, when you're younger, you just you have no pressure, you just keep going, and oh, top hundred, it's right there, you know,、um, and then I didn't give it too much thought when I made it top hundred, because、uh, when you're a kid, you know, top hundred is the it's the goal, you know, but.、Um, When you actually get there, it's not that big of a deal.、Um, so you know, I kind of learned that you have to be in the present moment, not rush, because、uh, uh, it's really easy to you know be greedy for results. But、um, yeah, I think what was the most important? I don't know. I guess I've been always pretty humble and like following like the right right path. Like I've known what's good for myself.、Uh, And keep strict to that. So you know that probably made me where I am today. <clears throat> so let's talk about the Dominic Thiem match you had at Monte Carlo. I mean, he was one of the hardest players in clay. Yeah, you played him pretty tough in the first set, then a close second set. So was that match like kind of the punctuation time when you said to yourself, "I belong here. I can hang with these guys." Um, yes, but then um, those matches against top guys,、uh, you're always you. Play with nothing to lose, so you play one of your best tennises all the time. And then,、uh, yeah, I played a really great match, except in the third set I got killed. I mean, he put his full gas on right there, and I just really couldn't do anything. And、um, yeah, it's 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 a mixed feeling between I belong there, and then I still have so much work to do to get to this level, or even have a chance to maybe beat these people. Because、um, they're just so physically strong, they're so talented. They have good hands. They're they don't miss. They hit hard. I mean, everything's there, you know. So、um, the longer the match goes, the better they get, huh? Yeah, exactly. I mean, even if they're playing the worst day of their life, they'll kind of stay in the match. They won't really go away from you. So he's he's pretty much the same age as you are. So do you have any history with him going back to ITF or? Oh yeah, for、Canada? sure.、Uh, we've we were. We're pretty good friends,、uh, especially when we were juniors. I mean, we—he was good when he was junior, but we were kind of a similar level.、Mm-hmm. And then he kind of really jumped up when he was like nineteen, twenty,、uh, or twenty-one. I don't know. And yeah, it's been pretty amazing to see, you know, a kid I've, a kid I've been playing with, you know, for a few years. Suddenly, like you see him in the top ten. So. <laughs> And then now he's a total star and everything, and you know we still keep a pretty friendly relationship. But、uh, yeah, hopefully I can kind of compete with that at that level soon enough. <laughs> How's it been、uh, sharing? The, you know, when you were in the top hundred, you played you know slams and one thousands and five hundreds. So how was it? Uh, uh, tell us,、uh, tell our audience, how was it to share the locker room with the likes of 
uh, Djokovic, uh, Murray, Wawrinka, Federer. Was yeah. Federer and um, yeah, the first year I kind of got into that whole circuit, it was, um, I was sharing a coach with David Ferrer. So through him, you know, I got to kind of like talk to Rafa Nadal a little bit, um, maybe Andy Murray a little bit too. And, uh, and you know, you'll see Federer in the locker room. I mean, he's like the god, you know. So I, I get totally starstruck. I mean, I can't, yeah, I get frozen and I can't really say hi or anything. But And I feel like, oh, you're so stupid. Uh, you should have said hi. <laughs> but um, He's approachable, right? He seems like yeah, a very nice guy. No, he seems very nice. And that's why it makes you nervous because there's that possibility of him talking to you. Um, <laughs> which makes you hopeful, but also kind of shy. So, um, yeah, but then it's, yeah, it's really great because, uh, you get to see how they warm up, how they prepare their, you know, uh, ele- uh, uh electrolytes and how they eat before a match and all that stuff. Everyone does something pretty different. Um, but yeah, it's been pretty great. Uh, let's talk about other breakout tournament. Too bad there were no uh, ranking points, but you had an amazing uh, experience at the Olympics. You beat oh, Jack yeah. Salt, you beat Kyle Edmund, then you took a set of Del Potro. Uh, how was that experience? Oh man, that was the, probably uh, the best experience I've ever had. Because um, it was so unex- unexpected. I mean, anything that's just awesome in life is unexpected. So... Uh, I found out like four days before the tournament was starting that I got in and like I just went there as literally nothing to lose. I was like probably like, the worst ranked player there. I was just like having fun, uh, just looking at a bunch of other athletes and you know, totally different atmosphere. I mean, and I just played the best tennis, you know, and then yeah, that was crazy. I mean, I've never beaten a guy top 30 and I beat a, and then right after I beat a guy who's like top 80 or something and, you know, had a pretty good match against El Potro, which was, you know, pretty amazing. Right, just from total fanboy, because that's, you know, who I think I am, mm. you play on the tour. So tell me if you were to describe the Jack Sock forehand and the Del Potro forehand, how, yeah. as an opponent, how do you break those two shots down? They seem to be the two biggest shots out there. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, but they're both pretty different forehands um socks forehand jumps up a lot more it has a lot more spin on it while del potro's one is more like a like a flat iron ball it just kind of skids through the court so heavy and fast but you know you just have to find their backhand you have to find their backhand and try and move them um and that's what i was able to do with jack and you know he made a quite a bit of unforced errors which was very helpful but uh you know, with Del Potro, he started kind of uh, finding the groove and he just started slicing, slicing and find, ripped the forehand when he had the chance. Uh, but yeah, those both guys, they serve really well. I mean, it was just, it was a really good, like, experience. So now you are, you know, trying to get back, I guess, again, the goal is to establish yourself back into the top 100. Mm-hmm. So how does the mindset change? Last year, you were playing with the elite level, you know, which is the ATP level, the major tournaments. Now you go back to Challenger, where I'm sure the crowds are smaller, or maybe sometimes there are no crowds. Yeah. But the competition is still intense because a lot of the guys you see, Matthew and you know Rublev, a lot of these upcoming guys. So the field is really tight. Yeah. So is there any drop 
of motivation because uh, you were just playing say Roland Garros uh, beating you know Martin Klesan and now you're back trying to qualify and you're playing challengers so is uh, there any drop in intensity yeah for sure a little bit i mean um what's hard is for example in olympics i had a great tournament and all the people are like oh you belong there you know we have to kind of believe in yourself and yeah right but then you go back to the challengers and it's still really hard work to beat someone who's 180 in the world or 200 that's something you shouldn't forget even when you become 50 in the world yeah that's that's been kind of hard the last maybe 16 months you know because i played so great in some tournaments but then i had pretty bad challengers as well in 2016 you know that kind of kills your confidence off a little bit it's like people tell me i'm i belong there but then i'm losing again to these people whatever you know so it's always hard to find the right mentality the right mindset uh to go into these tournaments how big is the team the team you travel with a coach trainer or yeah just a coach usually um and then in like grand slams i have like a physio and stuff from the japanese federation which is really helpful um but yeah usually i travel pretty small All right so of course uh, you know you come from japan so just uh, tell our audience and tell me what is kei nishikori like i mean is it true like his aura is like nba soccer stars is he he's probably huge there so what is this guy like oh I mean, he's huge he can't walk on the streets and he can't you know he's like a celeb total celeb but then his aura like he's just so normal he's like the most like a uh, casual top 10 player there is while well, he's probably the biggest star after um like Federer and Nadal and Murray or something but um yeah he's i mean i can go out with him at dinner and stuff and just talk about a bunch of normal guy stuff you know <laughs> and it's pretty fun uh so i'm really grateful like someone that good is just so pretty down to earth okay so my co-host is not here but this was his question to like Federer Wawrinka you know that uh, big brother friend relationship and you know how yeah. we know Stan has a great career so how is it for guys like you and Nishioka mm. uh, when you travel with K I'm sure he you know, like you said you know he's like a big brother and uh, what what's the relationship like I mean on the tour is he there also like a mentor his success uh, rubs on you I mean you guys motivated to see him and excel Yeah I really like seeing him because I mean just because he's like really good I mean but we don't really talk that much about like he Uh I see him more as a friend but I respect him a little bit more because in Japan we have this thing older people you know you have to respect them a little more <laughs> than they do to you but um yeah I just 80% of the time we talk about girls you know <laughs> it's not yeah nothing too special I mean it's 80% girls and maybe 15% tennis and 5% whatever yeah, else whatever else that's going on in the world so <laughs> yeah i mean that's how it is all right so i'm sure you have you know like uh, getting ready for practice tomorrow and uh, yeah. what is the routine like when you're traveling from hotel to hotel i mean uh, this is the life of a tennis player sometimes people don't realize how hard it is and it can get boring when you lose early in qualifying so what's the plan like uh, between now and uh, when is the next match um it's on saturday yeah well i mean it's you know you usually have to go to the this the courts like one hour before the matches start uh the, the practice starts and then you get to the practice courts like half an hour before practice and then you do your preparation like prepare your drinks um, warm up 
make sure you're ready to go. Um, and yeah, I mean, and then you practice twice a day, maybe do a little training. Um, you know, it's, we're not that busy as people think we are. Um, we practice a couple times a day, maybe in some tournaments we might have interviews or something, but, and that's it, you know, uh, maybe some stretching, some recovery stuff, uh, and then make sure we're eating healthy. Yeah, that's it. What is the short-term goal for this year, ranking-wise, with the clay season coming up? Uh, where do you want to see yourself uh, by the time, say, French Open rolls around, ranking-wise? And- um, yeah, it'd be great if I can make the main draw of French, but uh, that's still pretty long. I have to play, like, three, four really good tournaments before uh, April, so it's going to be really tough, but... um yeah, my goal really is to just kind of establish my level up into someone who's like, who doesn't drop out of the top 100, you know. So it might take a couple of years to maybe accomplish that. I don't know. Um, but I believe I will. And um, yeah, just kind of be patient, uh, try and enjoy the process, you know, and uh, do as well as I can. But be grateful that I'm traveling around the world uh, in one of the most, uh, I mean, adrenaline-pumping like activities you can do. And, yeah, not much else. <laughs> Absolutely. Wish you all the best and hope we see you more in main draws and, you know, on TV and people get to know you more. Wish you all yeah, the best. Yeah, cool, man. Thanks a lot.